Today's Old Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 9, and can be found on page 93 of the Pew Bibles. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not have leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a, a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's first testament reading comes from Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and can be found on, the, on page 1233 of the Pew Bibles. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that may help us understand. I just wished good morning to all of those here, if you're watching on Zoom, about 20 minutes ago, and now I wish them all good afternoon. We're very thankful for you coming. We're thankful for this opportunity to be here. Um, this morning, I want, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm wanting to begin a sermon series that deals with uh, a statement of faith that we at IPC are uh, working through. And the reason we want to do that is to just once again look at the basic truths of God. And why I find that so important in 2022 is I think we as Christians as never before, at least not in my lifetime, which is getting to be old, but in my lifetime, I don't think we have ever been confronted, particularly, it seems to me, with a situation that is so wonderfully described and outlined in the Bible in the incident where Jesus is brought to a situation where a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery is there, and the Jewish leaders want him to give a judgment. And in that situation, 
Of course, we remember the account. You can find it in the Gospel of John if you haven't read it recently. But it is the account where Jesus, rather than giving an answer, he immediately stoops, it says, and begins to write in the earth, to write something. We're not told what, but he begins to write. And then he says this, because they all knew that the law was going to describe a punishment of stoning. And he says this, Whoever among you is without the first sin, or whoever has no sin, pick up the rock and you be the first to throw it. And then there is this incredible moment within the Bible when it says, uh, I think in the Luther translation, that the men, the older from first, leave and go away. You see, we old geezers, we have more time to think about all of that stuff we blew. And when we made mistakes. And in the end, one time as I was reading this story, it realized to me the only person who's ever walked the face of the earth who was sinless was God in the person of Jesus. And at the end, you have the woman who is a sinner. And you have the God who is perfect. Who has every right. Because he's holy, he's pure. To pick up those stones. But what does he say to her? Woman, where are those who have condemned you? Wow. And she looks about her and she says, Lord, they're all gone. No one is here. And then he says these incredible words. He says, I do not condemn you. But go and sin no more. The reason I use this example is I think in 2022, our understanding of God, the God we like, the God we appreciate, the God we want often to triumph about, the God we want to communicate to others, or the God from whom we kind of reserve ourselves and are waiting for our own opinion, is the God of the first part of his answer, I do not condemn you. But some days we struggle with a God who is loving, and yet a God who is holy, who says, but lady, what you're doing is sin. And what I ask of you is no longer to change your life and to leave it. You see, what he's asking for is true repentance. Repentance means we identify what we have done which is wrong, and we confess it, and we turn and we go another way with God. And in our world in 2022, we grasp quickly the no condemnation because none of us want to be condemned. But we struggle with the therefore you are sinning, but stop and go and sin no more. And so we look at that and we say, well, what does that have to do with a study about God? Well, what I'm saying is this. In our statement that we're considering, we say God is the Trinity, or God the Trinity. We believe in one true, holy, sovereign God, infinitely wonderful, loving, good, just, who exists eternally in the three persons of one essence, equally divine and glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I must admit today, if I am going to start to preach to you a message about God, Two things are very evident to me. One, 
even if I said everything I knew, which isn't so much. So that means I am probably not going to talk about the aspect of God that you may be expecting me to do. That doesn't mean that I don't like it or don't respect it or don't believe it. And if you have a question, please write to me on email or come and let's have coffee and tea and discuss it and then pray together. And secondly, I also realize that as we consider God, how do we then get to know this God? You see, as we read for us there, the idea that God says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, I am the beginning and the end. But look what it says here in Mark chapter 12. The people were discussing with Jesus and one of them asked him this. Which commandment among, the, among them all is most important? Listen. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And that's what we're saying. We believe He is one. But then listen. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Then the scribe, one of those who would be a studier of God, he said, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no one beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices to which Jesus replies and says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Did you hear what the man said? He said, what you said is right. We as followers of God, for us what is the great commandment is to love one another. And as we try to do that, we realize that we cannot love them unless we fulfill the first part of loving God with all one's heart, with all one's mind, with all one's soul, with all one's strength. But the question is, how? How do we do this? How is it then possible? You see, the Bible does not present a case to prove God. Rather, the Bible not presenting a case to prove God, the Bible simply declares God is. It's a great difference in things. Well, at the very beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow. And so when the, all else, it begins to say He's almighty. He has that power to create as we heard in the children's sermon, he has the power to do it all. Or at the very end of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, Revelations, the verse that was read for us, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. And listen, so he is the beginning and he is the end, who is, right now, who was at the beginning and who is to come will be there at the end, the Lord God Almighty. And the question we have then 
if the Bible is going to describe to us God as being almighty, being the creator, being existent at the beginning, we're alive at the moment, and will be there at the end, how do we get to know him? How do we do this most important thing of loving God? You know, the Bible is not silent about what it says, is it? In, for example, um, as it speaks to us, Psalm, or excuse me, Proverb number one, verse 33, begins and says, of course, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3, kind of comes from the opposite direction. It says God is in his heaven, and he is seeking those who are watching, looking for those who would seek him. And then it says, for the fool has said in his heart that God does not exist. Wisdom, lack of wisdom. But Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 19, look, it says, how do we get to know this God? How do we know him? And in verse 18, it starts about the wrath of God coming against the unrighteous who have suppressed the truth. Listen to what the writer says as God's spirit has inspired him. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. Wow. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What he is saying here is in the very creation itself, in the beginning, God created. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the end who was, who is, and who will be. The all-powerful one. What he is writing here is he said, even in creation, there is this revealing of the <coughs> power of God, <coughs> excuse me, eternal power, and his divine nature. In other words, as we look at creation, at some point it's going to speak to us about how did this happen? The power that was needed for that. And then the realization that that was divine, that that was above human power, that intelligent design, a creator God. But the question is, of course, how do we get to know him? Paul, as he's preaching in Acts chapter 17 to the people in Athens who I think he has visited there, must have been like a park, had a group of statuary in it, and some of them were to different idols and gods that they worshipped in their system. One of them was marked or named the, the unknown God. And as he begins his sermon, he talks to them about that and says, I see that you seek even a God who's unknown. Let me tell you about this one. And he talks about the God of Almighty, the God of creation. And he talks to them and he speaks about how this one has been the one who's determined and made all of mankind and every place they live on the earth. And he's given boundaries and dwelling places and that people should seek God. But he says, but it's not that people perhaps would feel their way to God. Listen to what he's saying. This God who's great, who's mighty creator 
It is not that we find our way to him, but rather, what does he say? But actually, he's not far from all of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, what he's saying is this, as he goes on to express it, is it's not our seeking God, but first and foremost, we must understand that God reveals himself to us. God is a God of love in the sense that he is coming and he's speaking to us. He's revealing himself to us. And really, the Bible is filled with this. The Bible again and again records God revealing himself, God introducing himself. Multiple, multiple times I've spoken to you, I've mentioned the fact that one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, in the original language is not entitled Exodus, but it's entitled the book of names. And what that means is that moves as God comes away from it telling us about creation. And see, it's not just, it's the world, yes, but then creating man in his own image and woman and, and, and making them and putting within them this incredible God-likeness. Oh my, at some point we're going to study sin and salvation and we will never, we will never gather and understand the depth of sin until we understand the creation of God and making you and me and creating humanity in his image. That we can reason, we can think, we can love. We know right from wrong. We have this sense of God, and yet we've walked away. And as one one author has said, and every time we see a human walk by, we can say, there goes one without the image of God. Who has lost it? And yet we retain these things that God has created and placed within us to make us who we are. And yet the very most essential, God himself, we have forsaken. But God, so if this is how do we, how do we get to know him? How do we love him? It's not, as Paul said, that we grapple and reach for him. The amazing truth is that God reveals himself to us. Now, if you study God and we're getting to know God, it's different, for example, than studying math. Now, when I was very young, I loved math. I loved science. And then, anyway. And it's really nice, but see, I'm so old, I remember when the only base for math used was 10. And, and you know, math, you can study, and you know, and you, then you know more, and then you know more. But you see, studying God is different because God does not introduce himself as a subject. God introduces himself to us as a person. And that would be the distinct difference of studying math or science or history and studying George, Maria, or Franz. You know, when you study and you learn and you know George, Maria, or Franz, it is different because you can hear about them, you can talk to their friends, but the only way we get to know a living person, the only way we become really introduced to them is we have a relationship with them personally. And that is what God has done. He is coming. And he is introducing himself, the book of names. They are not names of Moses and Aaron and their sister Miriam. They are there, yes, Main characters, but it's name of God, after name of God, after name of God, as God introduces, as God reveals himself 
to them and to us. That we could get to know Him and respond to Him. Look what it says. Remember the account in chapter 3, the burning bush. And you see, that story, that account, that record is so important. Because Moses was walking, it says, and he had walked this same path in the desert many times, and he had actually literally seen this bush burning. And it wasn't until it finally clicked with him, oh, I need to stop, this is going on, let me go see what it is. And can you imagine a man coming, and then all of a sudden out of the bush speaks the very voice of God. And God doesn't just say something, the first words he says is, Moses! Moses! If you read the verses on a little bit later, you'll find that God will tell Moses, and you I know by name. Oh my, this isn't a God who just sits in heaven. Yes, he has an eternal throne, but this is a God who comes and reveals himself to us personally. And he says to them, or says to him, excuse me, He called out of the burning bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then he talks about the idea of taking his shoes off. And because it's holy, remember, a God of love and a God who's holy come together in the righteousness of God, which extends to us mercy and grace and allows us to experience God. I remember one time when I was studying the book of Exodus, I got quite frustrated thinking, well, why in the world does God make him take off his shoes? Some society is very polite, actually, in my, wherever I live with my wife, we always take off our shoes. Not because it's holy ground, but it's my wife's ground. Uh, And I deeply love her and respect her. But did you ever think, yes, there's this sense of God is holy and he's not. But think of the heart of God. Take off your shoes, man. I want you to experience what the real sense of holy is all about. Can you imagine barefoot onto holy? Wow. This God who wants to reveal himself begins in a manner which Moses can understand to show him the truth of God. And then in verse chapter 3, he uses this name, he says, and Moses says, when I go and do what you've asked me to do to the people, someone will say, who is the God who has sent you here? What is his name? How do we know him? How do we understand him? And listen to what he says. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Remember Revelation? I am the beginning and the ending. I am he who was, who is, and is now. This word I am, which is then translated again as Jehovah or Yahweh, and and it means a God who is personal, a God who makes promise, who covenants with his people, a God we can get to know. And he says, I am the God of your fathers, of Isaac and Abraham and of Jacob, and I remember them. In other words, how do we get to know him? We look at how God has moved in others' lives and we see that that is who he is. But also he comes down further in those verses and he will say, and I have seen what's going on in your lives. And then he says, and I promise you. Now this God is creator. This God is all-powerful. You see what the Bible is saying as it reveals him to us is that he also knows exactly what is happening in our lives. And he has been paying attention to that. And here he comes to introduce himself 
to reveal himself to them. Their personal lives. It just goes on in chapter 34, which was read to us, where he comes and he appears to Moses and describes his steadfast love, this graciousness, this slow to anger, and the forgiveness. And yet those who do not accept forgiveness, he holds responsible. The holiness and the love coming together in the righteousness of God. So what do we do with that? Well, this I am is incredibly important. And there are many, many, many names given to God within the Old Testament, the Almighty, the one of all powerful. But this name I am, this God of covenant, this God of promise, this God you can know personally, it is used again and again. We saw it in the last book of the Bible. Jesus, God the Son, uses it through the Gospel of John. And he says again and again, for example, one of the most famous verses, he says, I am using that same term. The way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the door, and anyone who comes to God enters me. I am the resurrection and life. He who is dead but believes in me will live, and he who has died will be raised from the dead. Wow. And Jesus uses it. And the, these elders at one time they say, are you saying you are, you are older than Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, and they pick up stones to stone him because they knew that he had declared and used the same name that God as he introduces himself to Moses and you, I am. This idea of God revealing himself God revealing himself to us. Well, part of what we also said, are you okay? You're really quiet. Could I just do a health check? But I don't think you're sleeping, so I'm very thankful. I must admit, this series on God has been one of the most challenging to me personally. There have been moments when I have cried out and said, oh God, why did we ever suggest this? Because you're just so much. And then there have been moments when I've been reading the Bible and all of a sudden has revealed. And something I never understood before became alive. And even myself, who am terribly non-demonstrative, I remember one time I was sitting in my office and all of a sudden my hands just shot up. God, you did that! You see, God reveals himself to us. But we've also said that God is Trinity. He is one. But he's also three in the sense that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he is one. But he has revealed himself to it. Let me read to you a verse I find so very helpful in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to these verses beginning in chapter 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, the very Creator who, who formed us in His image, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with the power through the Spirit. 
In other words, this spiritual world working in our eternal soul where God the Spirit works and takes us from being lost to being redeemed to knowing God. Takes us as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Behold, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone. We have been new. This working of God the Spirit. And then he goes on and says, so that Christ, God the Son, may dwell in your heart. Oh, and then he goes on. He kind of gets carried away. Like some preachers do. And he gets carried away here. Look what he says. That you may be rooted and founded in God's love. And with all those who are believers, that you would know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the great love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You see, isn't this a truth about God? He is more than we can ever know. And yet we can know Him. Because He comes and He speaks and He reveals Himself to us. And he says there, this knowledge of the Christ, that you would know that love. And then finally he comes and says, and that you would be filled with the fullness of God. Can you imagine that? This God who's greater, who's greater, who's larger, who's bigger, and yet he fills us with his presence. As Jesus prayed in John 17, O Father, let them know that I am in you and you are in me and let us be in them. Amazing. Now, this God, how can we know him? How can we love him? He introduces himself. He reveals himself to us. That didn't only happen in Bible times. We had a testimony today about a person who's met with God. I remember my first missionary year, first time I ever met a person to whom God, in the person of Jesus Christ, had appeared in a dream. His name is Kamal. And as I sat there and ate breakfast with Kamal, he shared with me how in a dream, Jesus spoke to him. And his daughter who was, had an unhealable, really terminal illness. And the doctors had sent her home to die. And Jesus spoke and said, if you believe me, I will heal your daughter. And I remember as I talked with Kamal, I said, well, why do you believe? He said, I don't understand everything about God. I don't understand everything about Jesus, but what I do know, I believe in him because my daughter, who was terminal, has now been declared by the doctors as totally healthy. God reveals. There are books upon books. Maybe not so much in our world, but across the world there are. Could I even be so bold as to use my own personal life? In my mid-teen years, had nothing to do really with church. Invited to a youth meeting, which I thought was absolutely wonderful, but had to stay for church afterwards because the people taking me home were staying. For the first time in my life as a teenager, I cannot remember what the sermon was about, but for the first time in my life, God began to reveal himself to me. In my heart and soul, all of a sudden, it wasn't an audible voice like Moses hearing, Moses, Moses, but it was God and Dennis discussing Dennis's life. 
and that Dennis needed to repent and Dennis needed to give his life totally to God. I had never heard of it, but I want to tell you it was real. It's not just biblical times. It's now. So it brings me to a close. Let me read you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was put to death at the end of the war. His book, Discipleship, is well worth reading. He says this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, that's cheap grace. Cheap grace is without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. This was answering a question is, how did it happen that the church did not speak? into that time and place. And what he's saying is the same question we began with. If we, as people, have a God who does not condemn loving, but we do not have a God who is holy, what you're doing is sin. Stop, accept forgiveness, and live a new life. We have missed the truth of God. And I would close this simply today by saying this. I believe our concept of God is the most important thing we ever have. It is the main thing you will give to your children, your grandchildren, and all your friends and relatives as they watch your life. But this God who reveals himself, he revealed himself to Moses. He revealed himself to Abraham, to each of the persons throughout the Bible. He's revealed himself to different ones of you seated here today. I would just say this this morning. How long has it been since you have sensed since you have experienced God revealing himself to you. There may be some of us seated here this morning who have never, ever experienced the truth of God. And yet this very God who has revealed himself, who is the I am from the very beginning, is today and will be there at the future. He who is the resurrection and the life. He who is truth. He is the way. He is the very love of God. He reaches out to us. And just before I pray, I want us to take a silent moment. And for you in the depth of your heart and your soul to reflect for a few moments and listen for this God, this Almighty, who wants to reveal himself to you. And if he comes and you hear his voice, may your answer be that which Moses also gave here am I. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that has fled into afternoon. And as we have considered you, Lord, there are so many characteristics, so many attributes, so many things that describe you that even as we begin to go through many of those, Lord, we're just beginning. Because you are beyond all of that. And yet, Lord, you are identified as Father. You're identified the one who loves us. You're identified as the Son who gave himself for us.
You are identified with the Spirit who works in our heart and life. And oh God, we ask you in Jesus' name to come and to reveal yourself to us. You know exactly where we are, each one of us individually. And therefore, Lord, we ask you to come and we ask you to speak to us in a manner and in a way that we fully in our minds, with our full intellect, in our hearts, with our full conscience and soul, and in the very depth of our person, we know you. And then help us to love you. And to love our neighbor as ourself. We worship you now in Jesus' name.